Whether you're more samples and swatches or splatters and blotches, you're in the right place. That's right. Scribes and scribblers, welcome back to the Nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens, Oceania. Uh, we've got a full table today, and I'll get into introducing everyone soon. But um, our episode today, color coordinated, contrasted, complementary, or can the whole thing, whether technicolor or monochrome, are you pedantically pairing, or do you take a devil-may-care attitude to your intermittent inking? Spin the color wheel with us today and find out. Now, we've got four hosts on deck today for this one. Um, I'm going to go around the table. Brian, uh, welcoming back a hobbyist extraordinaire. Uh, long time. Yeah. Well, hello there, Sebastian. Seb is on mic too. Hello again. It's me. Brian, what have, what have you brought for us today? What are you writing with? I am writing with my Sailor Professional Gear Slim in the clear finish. And also the... Um, Sailor Pro Gear Slim Four Seasons Summer, the Manyo, because it's green and yeah, I'm wearing the, green. Yeah, the dark green one. Our other guest host, um, Sharon, a generous benefactor, thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, thank you. And apologize up front for my dog Sebastian's whining for today. We are partaking in some cheese and Sebastian is quite partial to cheese. Yep. Um, it's his favorite food. He can smell it. And he can smell it. So he's had to be restrained, crated while we record. Otherwise, he will eat all the cheese and there will be no cheese left for the rest of us. So what I'm writing with today is completely unrelated to cheese. It is a DuPont Atelier D-Link Atelier in the tortoise brown finish. Great pen, great nib. It's tortoise brown and matched with Pelican Edelstein Smoky Quartz, which is not an ink I enjoy. Yes, the poop. It's, it, it's like baby poop ink. There, there's a small, it's like got a cult following. I know Joanne, Joanne is a big fan yep. of Smoky Quartz. And I don't want to yuck your yum, but uh, it is not my yum. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, neither is it mine. I was trying to give it another go and um, still yuck no yum. Uh, I brought two Aurora Optimas today, uh, one in the, uh, both the 365 uh, editions, one is the Azura uh, with a double broad, and one is the Coral Red, which is this year's 365, uh, and it has a medium cursive italic that uh, Tav has ground for me. These are a great pair. I thought I'd, I'd go left of field and not bring a yellow pen today. Who are you and what have you done with Chuck? I, I still do, but I have not brought it on for the pod. Uh, and I think we're going to finish off with Dai. Dai has a, a colorful cast of characters for us. Uh, so before we go on to Dai's colorful cast of characters, that coral red is gorgeous. Coral red is amazing. It's, it is beautiful. It is a different red to their normal Rosso. It reminds me of... Um, Red Phoenix and a dragon for some reason. Yeah, it so looks it's a really it's, good. It's very vibrant. I'm glad I waited for that. I was going to get the burgundy, which is also quite good. But no, but um, that that's stunning. I I may have to fork out the cash for one of those. Uh, fearless leader Diana, well, welcome to the pod. I'm just going to give you the floor for what you're writing with. Primarily this week, I've been writing with. I'm going to go into this backstory. So, um, was it last weekend or the weekend before last? I hosted a big lunch 
champagne do at my place. Weekend before last. Weekend before last. It was the day that we recorded um, the last episode with Leo. It's the so day where Dinah went overborne buying cheese. One kilo of them. She bought a kilo of a cheese. Kilo. No, 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 because Formaggio Cello in Surrey Hills were having their end of year clearance sale. So they wanted to offload all of their standing stock on cheese. So we're I went really in. happy. You don't I, really I, need to explain. Sh- shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I feel guilty about buying all that cheese when I'm oh, lactose intolerant. So I... I looked at the You're cheese that I. For a <laughs> I looked at the cheese I bought. I decided, oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have bought all that cheese. Let's host a lunch where I can we can eat all this cheese. Cheese is a lot easier for lactose intolerant people to deal with uh, than <laughs> than things like uh, milk, for example. Well, there was one very large soft cheese okay. that I bought, which was that a one went bad really idea. Clear. That was the first that thing that went really with the truffle honey. It was also an opportunity for me, oh, and complete sidebar. I've always been fascinated with magnum bottles of champagne or magnum bottles of wine, and I've never bought a magnum. I splurged out for a magnum, um, magnum mum. I must say, I had difficulties in pouring that bottle. Uh, I bought I <laughs> bought a lot of magnums, but I think we're, we're talking about... Anyway. We're talking about slightly different magnums. Yep. Yours is the chocolatey kind. Anyway, so I wanted an, an opportunity to show off the fact that I had bought my first ever bottle of magnum champagne. Which I did, and then Brian struggled to pour it. I only shook a bit. Um, Leo Fott was there, and he brought as a gift a Pen BBS 456 clear demo. And um, I haven't tried a single Pen BBS before, um, even though they're apparently quite popular as vac fillers, holders, number six nib holders, as Leo likes to put it. You went quite crazy, though. Yes. So from that single clear Pen BBS 456, I have now acquired another 10 Pen BBS <laughs> do they demonstrators. Total? Do they, they no. It would be like they a do not count towards my total. They're like my Kakunos. So Leo had given me a 456 from Pen BBS, which in my experimentation, I'd fitted with a Sailor 21 nib. Because Leo said that was one of the nibs that it will take, in addition to a number of Bok number six size nibs. So that's the size that um, I think Frank and Christophe uses, Omas, um, similar to Aurora's. I think Visconti nibs will also fit in it. Basically, a, a whole host of very popular nibs will fit into the Pen BBS 456 back filler. I tried it with the Sailor nib. It works great. I enjoyed it so much and I found the pen so well balanced that I ended up going on a buying spree from Pen BBS. The, the Sailor nib is news because I know a lot of people get conids to try and fit um, their, their Sailor nibs into, but the, the Pen BBS is a very different uh, price bracket. Yes. Well, one of the common complaints about Sailor is that it has such small ink capacity, right? They don't make um, any back fillers. They do make piston fillers, the Rialos, but they're very expensive and they still don't hold all that much ink. And very limited in finish as well. And they're stupidly priced. It's like 500 AUD for a Rialo. Minimum, minimum yep. from a Rialo. And the limited editions can go up to like 700, 800. So there was a lot of appeal to the idea of putting a Sailor 21K nib, which I love, onto a more um, spacious vacuum filler. And it just works really, really well. Um, so far, I've been using it pretty much nonstop for the last week. Have you put your King Eagle in it? <laughs> no, I'm a little bit cautious about that because I'm not sure that it, because the, it's a bit 
bigger the nib and i'm not sure the nib will fit into the cap cap clearance clearance might be a worry so I, i haven't tried that yet I've designated my sailors as pens that I use inks that I can't commit to two mils worth. I I use inks that I know 0.4 mils is fine. I'm with you. I've only got one sailor inked at the moment. It is a sailor Naginata medium in a pro gear full size. And I've got it inked with Marazen Athena Lemon, which is the worst ink. (laughs) It's not in the spectrum of yellow that I like. I don't even, like, I thought this would be an ink you'd be all over because it's lemon, it's yellow. I mean, it's lemon. It's It's too greeny, a yellow. It's a disgusting ink. (laughs) But anyway, the ink in my 456 with the Sailor Nib is Private Reserve Naples Blue. I don't see a lot of this being written about on the internet, but I think it's a pretty good dupe for um, Organic Studios Nitrogen. I bought this in bulk when I saw it on sale at um, an art store in Circular Quay, no, in the rocks. Um, about last year, they were offloading all of their private reserve inks and it was like $5 for um, 50 or 80 50, mils. 50 mils. For a 50 mil bottle. It's just like, yeah, great, great ink. It sheens, but it does smear if you put it in a very wet nib. In a fairly dry nib, in a fine nib, it works a treat. So private reserve, and I must admit, I didn't look too deeply into this, but I had read that they had changed owners last year or the year before. So a lot of their iconic, iconic colours are either being discontinued or reformulated because they've had severe slime in the bottle, scum in the bottle, whatever you want to call it, um, issues with uh, any of theirs that have a red dye. I, I like I love Private Reserve inks. I was a big fan of them when they first came out. One of my all-time favourite inks is the DC Super Show Blue. I think that's beautiful. And American Blue is up there. Fantastic colour inks. They couldn't spell avocado the first time they came out with the avocado. It's A-V-A-C-A-D-O, according to Private Reserve, which was actually a really nice ink as well. But some of their really iconic ones were like the, I think it was called Buttercup or Orange Crush. And Fiesta Red, I really liked Fiesta Red, but I had, I think I had all three of those bottles at one point and they all went down the drain because they got all gummy and like, if you've ever seen ink turn into sludge, it's a pretty disgusting thing. And my private reserve inks went to sludge. Yeah, I think um, I saw a comment thread on one of the Facebook fountain pen groups where someone was complaining about sludge in their private reserve ink. And the lady who actually bought the private reserve brand in Canada, I think, she's, she's, the, the company is now owned by a Canadian, I think, um, she replied and said, you know, we'll fix that. And they're doing something with the formulations, definitely. But I hope they keep Naples blue because I think it's a really nice blue. So uh, overall, pretty positive reactions on the 456, Dana. Absolutely. I find it really well balanced. So I've been talking a lot about the Conid recently because I've been thinking about the Conid as a number six nib holder. What? Exactly. I hate the Conid. I hate the look of the Conid, but... I really like the look of a Conid, but I agree that it's it's not the most effective number six nib holder (laughs) for for cost effective. So there's cost, there's the aesthetics, which do not work for me. And plus the pens themselves, I don't find them very well balanced. You're not their target market, die. (laughs) Obviously not. I'm not enough of a gentleman. Uh, (laughs) my chromosomic makeup do not fit with their target audience two x not enough y (laughs) so this is my alternative to a conid and it's priced at like one tenth 
of the price of a, a bulk filler or something like that. One tenth. I think you need to work on your maths, dog. <laughs> How much is a bulk filler? It's like 400? Yeah, but a Pem BBS is like 10 to 20 bucks. Really? No. On, on eBay, it's like 40. Oh, what? I think if you buy from Taobao, it's it's very cheap. But if you buy off the the Pen BBS website, their official store on Etsy or on eBay, it's around like forty to fifty dollars. Okay, I stand corrected. I'm, I think you might be able to get like a minimalistica for four for four hundred. Um, but if you're if you're getting the regular, it's um, priced up. See, my math is bad, but it's not that bad. Yeah. Okay, so four, five, six, uh, good review. Yes, and. Consequently, I I now own like five or six. You could buy a coded with that money. <laughs> I don't. I don't want a coded. And plus, like with five, four, five, sixes, I can have five nib holders. I can put five different nibs on them. One of them has an aurora. I've put an aurora fine nib on one of the four, five, sixes. And there's a Kobe anniversary. Yes, the sailor nib that I put in is what? a sailor twenty one k. That makes me from, really from, bad. From the, <laughs> From the port of Kobe anniversary. What? What's wrong with it? Because she hates the body so bad. I kept the pen. It's white with blue ends. It's actually a very good looking pen. It was sold out. I don't like the look of the pen. I I don't like the look of the pen. Did you like the subsequent red and black one? No, but I do own it. (laughs) One of the Sailor Moon um, pens went up on PenSwap and I... I told a friend... Steel or gold nib? The steel ones. Well, the what would they say? Gold finish. But I told a friend about it who only has a Moonman M2. She proceeded to lose her mind in a group chat and buy the thing. Um, it's now <laughs> on the way. A direct quote was, uh, Lel, just let me live my magical girl life. And you know what? You know what you want? Uh, shout out to you, Alicia. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, there's there's been some big swings. Uh, so we have feedback on our iTunes US uh, from Paperlate. Uh, and this one says, a gem of a podcast, five out of five. The hosts of this podcast could talk about almost any subject and I would listen to it. Chuck, Sharon, and Diana are smart, articulate, and funny. Their conversations are thoughtful and nuanced. That they are talking about fountain pens is just icing on the cake. They close each podcast with non-fountain pen-related recommendations based on what they are currently reading, watching, and sometimes even wearing. A beautiful little podcast that will leave you waiting for the next installment. If this podcast had a poster, I would like this review to be featured on That'd that poster. Great. Lots of lots of ellipses. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yes. Chuck, yeah. Sharon, and Diana are smart, articulate, and funny. That's yeah. all we can hope this for. Is a, Thank this you is a so much. Review. Thank you very much, Paperlight. So unexpected feedback, and I don't even know how this came up, but this week, um, one of the guys at my workplace actually liked our nib section page, and this, um, hey Patty, how's it going? <laughs> he, out of support for me, perhaps, I don't know, but he listened to our, our podcast. And had some really good feedback for it. He loves you, Chuck. He says you have the perfect <laughs> podcast voice. <laughs> he does. <laughs> um, is this is this a direct subordinate of yours, or a- we we don't talk about stuff like uh. that. <laughs> we don't talk about whether or not it's review season at work. <laughs> uh, there is nobody that listens to it at work, but I uh, because most of my surgeons have have aged out of the podcast. Um, market. Nevertheless, uh, once they find out that I know a little bit 
um, about it that they are excited to do rounds with me and show me. There's one surgeon who has since told me that he fired his old assistant for for cracking his duofold cap for uh, wow. screwing it on too tightly. Oh, that is a crime. Yeah, and uh, and he asked me about um, anybody I knew that could do repairs in Sydney and um, I kind of pointed him in the right directions. Wow. So the other shout out that I've got in terms of new podcast listeners that kind of terrify me, uh, my mother is now listening. So guys, keep your potty mouths at bay. (laughs) Well, my mother is now a listener and she pulled me aside, uh, I think it was last week saying, you guys have a lot of episodes. I'm going to spend a lot of time listening to you (laughs) talking. And... (laughs) Hi, Mama. But, like, Mum doesn't understand anything about pens and she thought this was, like, a, you know, passing fancy of mine from 11 years ago or 12 years ago, 13 years ago. Surprise! <laughs> we're, we're coming up on 50 episodes and coming up on two years. This is definitely more than I thought was going to happen. Um, <laughs> it's, it's been very entertaining. But, uh, yes, thank you, uh, Paper Late, for your review. Uh, I think we have spent the first half of this podcast talking about uh, any subject and a lot of it wasn't fountain pen related. Uh, as, as mentioned just then, um, by the way, we do have our second anniversary coming up. And Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, wow. Um, Is that wow about the podcast or wow about our age? Both. Yes. That, um, the age of the podcast. Yes, yes. Um, well, last year we did a Q&A episode. It was heaps of fun. Yeah, while we occasionally do Q&A, like pen-related stuff, this was an open Q&A to anything that you wanted to ask the hosts, and we're getting another one of those coming up soon. So your questions don't have to be fountain pen-related, but you know, please send us some messages and we will compile them and we will talk about them on the pod. I won't give tax advice on the pod. I'm just going to caveat that out. Mm -hmm. So um, the ways you can leave your messages, you can uh, message us on Instagram, on Facebook. You can email us at the nib section at Gmail. There's also a Discord channel for FPO where you can leave us comments. And I'm also on the pen addict Slack. So you can also find me on the podcast uh, stream over there. That might be where some of the American listeners can get in touch with me. That takes us to our main subject. Uh, Finally. Yeah. (laughs) How how far are we in? (laughs) Um, This topic was uh, suggested by Rowena from uh, Fountain Pens Oceania. Uh, And it's about color coordination with pens. Do you match your pens with ink color? And do you ever color coordinate your pens with your wardrobe? Such a big topic. Such a a a big topic. (laughs) And like by the time you get to pens and inks, Generally, you've started color coordinating in your life well in advance, well in advance. Uh, if you're getting to pens and inks, it is the symptom of a far bigger Yeah, I Ill- think the pen illness. is the result. Yeah, yeah. If you have more than two pens, then you put some thought into... Yeah, you've thought about it. No, 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 no. I have thought about someone who has more than two pens who gives no thought to how they are color coordinated or 
Is this Aiden? Is this Ian? <laughs> yes, Ian. So Ian, who puts like, Lamy Blue in you know, every sure, single sure, sure, goddamn sure, sure. pen that he owns, and he owns a couple of hundred of them. That's right? uniformity, though. Yeah, yeah. Count. Uniformity that, yeah, is still that is consistency but he, but is its buy, own kind of pattern. But he buys funky inks. But he doesn't really use it. He does. Does he? Well, no, he uses it, and then he goes, ooh, I don't like this ink. Yeah, and then goes in a storage. Or then he gives it away. <laughs> I have a predominantly yellow collection. I cannot only write with yellow inks if only oh, for the you have benefit. yellow socks too. I, I do, just saw. I do. They've got little octopuses <laughs> so on them. Um, octop- octopi. It's if only for the benefit of people reading my writing. I cannot only write with yellow ink. So I have to do like complementary and contrasting colors. And there's certain pens which I've just acknowledged are not going to i'm not going to be capable of matching them with the inks that i like i got using. a verbal warning for using a yellowish ink we've once. talked about this your yeah, workplace has, has, has thought about you i've got a protocol just r- specifically written for me yeah for that reason the so. brand protocol yep yeah not my favorite uh, robert ludlum book <laughs> what, what was what did you get pulled up on um i was using in and writing it on where did I write it on? My, no, actually, my manager saw it and then he reported it to his manager and I got called in and the quality department got involved and then a whole protocol got produced within a month. And I It was escalated. Really quickly. And now I have 80% of my pants inked with blue mm. just because of that. When I saw Rowena suggest this topic, initially I was a little bit intrigued and I thought maybe we could answer it within just a question in our Q&A. But then as I got more into it, I was like, fuck, crap. (laughs) Oh, golly. (laughs) Good golly gosh. Golly gosh. Um, We could talk a lot about this topic because even though sometimes we don't consciously think about um, how we match our pens with the inks that go into them or our pens with how we dress or the notebooks that we use or, you know, our bags and so on. We do that subconsciously. We have a certain inbuilt awareness of what colors look good with what colors or like what shapes look good with what shapes, you know? Right. And that decision comes through when we buy our pens. It comes through when we decide what to use for the day or when we ink a new pen. So it's not just about how we respond to color. It really factors into every stage of our collecting and buying process. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, I will say as a caveat that although I think in this episode, um, myself and Brian might talk a lot about how we are often compulsively um, driven to match. It's not a disability. It's it's not a disability. It's so a superpower. We, we don't. Well, that too. But we're not trying to diminish actual obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a recognizable um, disability. Mm. So it's not that bad for us. We, we won't want to um, take away from that. So for us, it's just a bit of a compulsion. It, annoys us and it makes us anxious there's a sensation of completeness in in short we're just anal yes and and that's on us (laughs) um well there's a there's a sensation of completeness or or like of satisfaction yeah it's like balancing ideas sometimes if there's too many ideas together then you've got to strip some away if there's not enough you want to add to it i have a rational reasoning behind that okay go ahead having this system and everything that comes with it 
it helps us, well, it helps me to free up some of my memory. So for certain things, if everything is color coordinated, you already have a structure. So you don't have to think about it. You just come. I relate to that a lot. That's yeah. an, okay. So that's well, wait, 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 okay. Why, 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 don't we st- why don't we take a step back yep. and um, one by one, um, let's go around the table and tell our listeners, what decisions do you make about how you ink your pens, what color you put in certain pens, and do you have a habit of matching your inks with the color of the pen that you put them in? So, Brian. Oh, you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> I was like... going to be very disappointed because of that protocol, the Brian the protocol. One that, the, the one that you instituted. Yeah, the Brian protocol. And you don't have a delineation between pens you use for work and pens you use no, at no, home. No. You just at, have your pens. Yeah, yep. the 25. Yeah. So, except for the... Two red ink pens that I have, the rest are blue in different shades. I don't have two pens that has the same color. I guess that answers your question, do I color code? Not anymore. I used to, but not anymore. Oh, this is just the soul-crushing nature of government work, you know? Not really. We are, we are <laughs> why don't you, public, why don't you reserve public. a few pens for home use then? A, a private reserve, if you will. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't really write much at home, regrettably. So sorry, but I just don't. I use a pink ink in my brush pen just because it's not accessible in any way. I can't be told off for using a pink in the brush pen at a Japanese course that I'm currently doing. But everything else is either red for making notes or blue for lab work. And I'm actually walking on a really thin thread they're, they're watching your your because output. it's not permanent as well because i work <laughs> in the lab it, yeah. it actually smears sometimes i just make sure that whoever is handling my writing doesn't have a sweaty hand or smear across the writing in any way but i'm i'm still against the protocol in such somewhere. a rebel <laughs> life's too boring otherwise um sharon what about you um, so interestingly enough, while I really like the concept of colour coordinating, um, most of the pens that I use very regularly has one – well, actually, the pen that I use on a daily basis Aurora has blue. one ink in it. Actually, no, it's Iroshizuku oh. Asagao. Basically, I pick a blue ink at the beginning of the year and I said I'm going to work through this bottle during the year and the pen that I keep at work – is just permanently inked with one color. So I never wash it out. Guys, block your ears. I never clean this pen out. I just constantly refill a cartridge because it's a decimo. I refill a cartridge. I'm almost at the end of my bottle of uh, Asagal, um, which is in my decimo every single day. Is that for the 50 mil? 50 mil oh, Asagal. Good work. 50 mil Asagal. Mm. I usually finish about two bottles of ink a year because there are usually one or two mm, pens that are just constantly inked with the same ink. I was aiming to finish three bottles in a year. That was a little bit ambitious. I managed to. Then for the rest of my pens, the time that color color coordinating really comes to the forefront is when I'm testing pens. And that happens a lot more than people think because I have a habit of buying pens and chucking them into storage. But... When I buy a pen and I go, mm, maybe I should test it, I try and color coordinate it because it just takes the least amount of thought. I basically look at it, um, such as the Aurora Optima Lilac that I had. I looked at it and I went, what's an ink that looks like this particular pen? Well, it would be the Graphon Faber Castell Violet Blue. 
I think it's near a near perfect match. So let's just pop that in there. So yes, color coordination, not particularly important for me unless I'm usually the more stressed or the more I have on my mind outside of hobbies the more I would be uh, inclined to colour coordinate. And then sometimes if I'm just trying stuff out and I'm not um, I'm not 100% convinced that I'm going to keep a pen, which is, again, you know, 80% of the time. If I'm not convinced that I'm going to keep a pen, it usually gets colour coordinated. And that's how you kind of – if you look through the stuff that gets inked, you kind of go, well, she's not going to keep that pen because that's colour coordinated. But, you know, if certain things have my tried and tested and – favorite inks in them regardless of the color they're probably ones that I know work really well and I I don't want to be wasting my favorite inks in these pens that I may not keep yeah what about you Diana all all three of you have have significantly deeper collections than um than mine I wonder whether uh, coordination is uh, like Brian said a simplifying factor or a complicating factor for you Diana it's definitely a simplifying factor so I collect both ink and pens and I am very much inclined towards inking pens that are not black or clear with inks that match the colour of the pen itself. So, for example, I have a number of Optimas and they tend to be inked with colours that match the resin. And there are a few exceptions to this rule. They tend to be the pens that I'm using daily. So my um, my vanishing points are always inked with my blue or dark purple of the moment. So last year it was Shigure, currently it's Sailor Gentle Blue. And um, my red, designated red ink pen tends to be my Faber-Castell Ondora, which is orange. So it's, a little, it's not quite a match, but it's close enough. So orange pen, red ink. And the rest of my pens are... <laughs> Let's say there are very there are colors in my ink collection that rarely get used because I don't have a pen that matches that, <laughs> that ink. So like magentas, purples, um, even my greens, even though I do like green inks, I don't use them very often because I, I don't have any really green pens and I can only use them in black pens, consequently. Um, I know this makes me sound like a crazy person, but uh, when oh. you <laughs> so when you have at any one time um, an average of like twelve to fifteen pens inked, it does make it easier to remember what you're using if the color of the ink matches it the does. pen. So on on the note of uh, simplifying, and um, so I, I love uh, color theory. I've but way before uh, getting into ink and. Um, Pens, uh, I used to paint miniatures. And so there, there's a lot of planning out what colors you're going to be using, whether they go together, whether, you know, the tones match, you know, because mixing a, uh, a cool gray with a warm red is going to have a different effect to a cool red. Um, and those sorts of things kind of creep into the sensibilities of picking your, your pens and your inks. Um, the two that I brought today, the coral red, I've... Uh, inked up with Sailor Irori, which uh, is one of my favorite reds. Uh, it's like bright, eye-catching, and um, just well-behaved. On the other side of that, the the red that I also like, the um, uh, Rouge Hematite, I have had to filter twice to, to get it to be red instead of 
instead of gold with red particles. Gold green. Yeah. Uh, it's gold green. Yeah, Rouge pre- hematite e- exactly, is green. Absolutely. So I filtered it twice and it's now predominantly red with like little... It's a nice red. It's a very nice red, but just frustrating dealing with the... You know, if you were there for gold, then you've got the red you want. Uh, and the Azura I have with Sioro, um, but I also... It's, it's an interesting um, material in which I could go blue or green in it, um, and it'd be fine. But you were saying before about green inks. I've had trouble having a pen to put green inks in for ages because all of mine are, are predominantly towards yellow. And I don't... Uh, this, is, this, is, this is not very Australian of me, but I don't like putting green inks with, with yellow In a yellow pens. pen, yeah. Uh, I, I don't, Get out of this country. I don't like it. Everything has to be nearby in the color wheel in that, like, my yellow... Uh, my Excuse me, yeah, yellow. green is next I to know, yellow. I know, that's my one... But it's too the, close. The color so wheel if it was runs, a blue, if it's yeah, a direct contrast, yeah. then that works for some people. Yeah, so I don't have... I don't... Uh, I do yellows that go up to orange in my soles because that's what what goes in but i don't put it in my it, this is yeah it's all a very minor pen yeah stuff. I, I get you <laughs> yeah very minor pen stuff but otherwise Who says I was <laughs> we all are <laughs> uh, otherwise the uh demonstrators that i've got have been very useful for thing for thank thing, goodness yeah. for the demonstrators demonstrators and black pens yeah. can we all agree that they can absolutely fit any all sorts i've got of green in a black pen at the moment yeah and it's beautiful. My my um, nibs.com Brillo, the yellow body with the black cap. For the past one and a half years, I have been trying different inks in it. And I always come back to Imperial Purple. Because it feels like the only... And, uh, you know, purple, yellow, uh, very, you know, very well established, um, good pairing. And it's, it's just an all-time favorite color pairing that i go back to and it's now just my lakers pen um i was gonna say something about <laughs> yeah but the um the, or the dem- it's, um oh the hamburglar is that the purple grimace? yellow color grimace grimace hamburglar is quite orange yeah but the green inks have been finding use in like my king of pen demonstrator and other pens where i don't have to commit to them but this this is kind of a symptom of other things that um, happen in my life, and I, I've mentioned this before, and this might lead us on to our, our next topic that Dai, you touched on before, in that this color coordination tends to manifest a, like across the board, and it's not just in stationery, which is like nice things. That stationery is just a byproduct. Ab- absolutely. So I think... This is why I think Chuck is an interesting example, um, an interesting case to talk about in this topic because you're someone who I think we've talked about your um, attachment or obsession with the color yellow Yes. before in multiple episodes. Yeah. But is that – would you describe it as a compulsion? Is it a preference? It, is it, it love? It won't – so it won't make me – it won't make me like a thing that I wouldn't normally like but what it does i think of it like a multiplier right if if it's something that i would have liked then i will like it even more sometimes i'll be walking through like a store and i'll see something just because it's yellow and five seconds later i'll be like i don't like this at all 
but I've only noticed it because it's yellow. It's it's a little disappointing. It's like a, a magpie, but if you swap if you swapped uh, blue and shiny for for yellow. So this morning I was doing a bit of reading on this topic. I was reading a lot of articles about color coordination in fashion. So when we dress. So what I was picking up was that when you color coordinate, it tends to be, I think, a conscious decision more so than not, and. It's also, I think, an assertion of control. So I'm going to refer to this pretty good article, um, or I guess like a blog post on The Cut, and I'm going to quote from it. Um, The article is called Help, I Can't Stop Color Coordinating, and it's by Emilia Petraka. Um, And she's talking about fashion. I used to think, so I'm quoting Emilia, I used to think black was the only color that would do it for me. And this was as good as I was going to ever feel. But recently, after a series of personal, professional and cultural shifts, I finally decided that I was allowed to try on other colours. It was only then that I realised the appeal of monochrome is less about which colour you wear and more about how coordinating in general makes you feel. It's a state of mind. This year, I couldn't quit it. Monochrome is an emotional way of dressing, maybe even the most emotional way of dressing. Colours, after all, traditionally project specific feelings. Black for grief, red for anger, green for envy. And on a practical level, colour coordinating makes you feel like you have your shit together. As though you've hacked the oftentimes dizzying puzzle of getting dressed in the morning. It's an outward-facing maximalism for an inward-facing minimalist. Or a very chic security blanket. When nothing else makes sense, at least you can feel like your wardrobe does. Monochrome is impossible to mess up. So, um, I, I really related to that bit um, where it says it's an outward facing maximalism for an inward facing minimalist or a very chic security blanket. Yeah. I really like that. I really like that pull quote. I think we, we most commonly see color coordination definitely as an all black thing to borrow the, the parlance of the youth um, murdered out, I believe is the, the phrase that's, I I think the most common monochrome that we would see in a general day-to-day basis is all black. And all black is... And dark blue is basically like black. Yeah, yeah. Like the business navy blue suit is this, the same... It's the same thing being applied. Um, and it's just dark enough to for color, bright eye-catching color, to not be a factor. And depending on the circumstances and the environment, it's saying, you know, um, I thought about what I'm wearing. I've decided to do the simplest thing. Or um, I have my shit together... Um, I am professional. I am serious. Full on black is a really hard color. It's hard to be, because there's so many different shades, shades of, of black, black. and yeah. textures. And I, I, I often think about um, there's a pull quote because my mom used to love this show. And there's a quote from the intro song to The Nanny. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. So my mom loved this show. So I watched a lot of it. In the intro song to The Nanny, uh, it says she's the lady in red when everybody else is wearing tan. And I think that there's this idea that if you're wearing a bright color, it has to be intentional and you have to be intentionally going against the grain, Uh, which sometimes I agree with. And sometimes it's sometimes it's just that you've worn what you wanted to wear and you've shown up at a place where everyone else has thought about it less. You know, why did you choose yellow? Can I ask? Uh. I was getting to the point where it's a, it's a popular concept now, the like Steve Jobs uh, uniform idea, right? Where you just pick one thing and you wear that every day for your general purpose, right? Um, and 
you know, with Steve Jobs, it was the jeans and the black turtleneck. Uh, a comedian that I love, uh, Jason Manzukas, his uniform is a white Oxford shirt and jeans. As, as in your regular day-to-day wear, that's what you wear all the time. And the idea is that it minimalizes the amount of decisions you have to make and you don't have to you're freeing up your RAM to actually think and do your job and stuff. And I, that sounded appealing to me, but I've been a dancer for a long time and I have had a lot of looks, a lot of, had a lot of colors, uh, some of which I'd grown out of. I never wear yellow anymore. Um, uh, sorry, I never wear purple anymore. Um, and I, uh, I never wear green anymore. And so I was like, Because right. green clashes with yellow? Yeah. A, a lot. <laughs> like it, again, it feels, it feels too Australian, it feels too Brazilian. Um, and I was like, right, if you had to pick one color, what would it be? Yellow. Uh, you know, com- complete win, n- nothing else even comes close. So I picked yellow, and the rule became slowly over the course of a, a year or two, and is now like pretty solid, that I'm only going to wear yellow and neutral colors. Um, so it's at home, yellow. The, the whole wardrobe is yellow, black, gray, white, and then there are some... Uh, I have one blue sweater and one red sweater. Everything else is designed to go with yellow. And it has genuinely made dressing a non-issue. I don't often sit in front of my closet being like, what is today going to, to bring? And I was like, no, today will bring more iterations of yellow, white, and black. So we're just going to go with what goes. Yellow is a polarizing color. I think it's a really cool choice because yellow tends to be a color that... So um, people who have Asian skin tones avoid because it's very easy to get one that is too green and that will clash with your skin tone. So I think you've been very good at picking like yellows that are warmer, like more on the mustard end. It does help that I'm Filipino and I'm a little towards the darker end. Yeah, olive. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's easier with that. And I I do agree that you don't see – more uh, white people wearing yellow because it tends to wash them out as well. Um, specifically, I think I also chose yellow because you rarely see men wearing yellow. And it, it's not, it wasn't quite a feminine color, but it, it's seen as a color that is too in your face for a lot and of... And pink is getting a bit too popular. Yeah, so, so pink, pink had a weird like uh, growth and then... Uh, yeah, I had it had a growth and then it faded out and then and then back and and it, it's almost to the point where like if you're wearing pink you're you're saying something like whether whether you're saying that you're trying to subvert something or not. Um, whereas yellow, it was just bright and it didn't need to to be that. I think this question has come up quite a lot on various forums um, whether or not you match your ink with your pen and from memory most people tend to comment with some sort of process or decision um, where they are more likely to coordinate ink and pen color than not and actually I think I'm actually quite admiring of people who can tolerate randomized chaos (laughs) in their inking decisions Um, because I think that that in itself is a decision right Um, really Yes, yes. And I think in recent years, recent, yeah, probably more so in recent years, there's been a, there's, there's been an explosion of colour in um, pens. Yeah. Because I, I, I remember, 
I remember back in my day, um, about 12 years ago, a lot of pens, like all of the new releases that were coming out were dark colored pens. They were in the black vein or black with a little bit of something like a bit of silver. Um, Yeah, very safe, like black with gold trim, black with silver trim, black with platinum sides. I remember when the Waterman Exception, the square pen came out and it was, you could get it in black with one gold side or black with one silver side. There, There weren't that many in the colourful range, like Omas stood out as a real outlier because of all of their colourful celluloids. Um, and Pelican. Parker um, as well. Pa- yes, yes, Parker. Um, to an extent, to an extent. The vintage ones at least. Yeah. You know, I remember when Pelican broke the, broke the net when they released their uh, White Honey, the white M400, white tortoise shell one, because people hadn't seen white pens in forever and a day. But nowadays, if you release a white pen, no one's going to bat an eye because you see a lot of white pen. It's, it's very commonplace. You have to go over the top to make people mm. say too much. Yes. Uh, like a very recent Visconti announcement. Oh, the watermarks. The water spill. The, 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 oil, the spill. oil spill watermark. So the Monteverde Visconti hybrid. Yeah, but colour wasn't a big thing until... More recently, I'd say in the last maybe five, five to seven years or so. You think it's that recent, really? Yeah, so colour, like an explosion of coloured plastics um, has really just hit the – like hit the ball out of the park. Um, You think about the explosion of sailors and how they've like been so popular over the last couple of years because of all the different colours that you can get. I think part of that is because – inks are coming out in so many different colours and people are trying to find the perfect pen to f- match their perfect ink or the perfect ink, perfect ink to match their perfect pen. So each drives the other. Yes. The and ink the market snowball. drives the pens and, and same with the safaris. It's the Katamari effect. <laughs> Deep cut. Great game, guys. Great game. Not an official wreck, but a wreck nonetheless. But do you think that this... What do we call it? This upsurgence of colour in the fountain pen market. Is that something that used to exist in terms of demand before the makers caught up with it? Or do you think it's because makers started producing more interesting colours, more people are attracted to pens? I I think it existed, but people weren't capitalising on it because it wasn't a big enough market. Because when... The, the market's gotten huge in recent years. Uh, like if you think about Private Reserve, because we were talking about it earlier, when Private Reserve first came out, it was the saturated, colourful ink on the market, as in the, capital, capital T-H-E, right? Yeah. And then Noodlers came out and they started coming out with all of their colours because every other maker out there, you got a green, a purple, a blue, a red... And sometimes if you were lucky, you got a brown, right? And you had a black. But no one was doing colours in the, oh, this is a buttercup yellow. And yeah, this yeah. is like a yeah. shade of orange soda. Yeah, we, have, we have a yellow, not five. Not five, not it. like five shades of yellow. Yeah, like yeah. here's the lemon that you would never use. And then here are, you know, the four, four shades of yellow that you would use. But when Private Reserve really came onto the market, that hit it huge. And they were hugely popular when they first launched because people were just going, wow, this is so much colour and I want to be using all this colour. 
And then I think what came after that, I think, I think, my opinion, you know, um, was that people thought, well, now I need a pen to match this, you know, buttercup crush or this fiesta red. I need a red pen to match this. And then you get the weird ones like I have this grayish blue which is not really legible. It's like Miles Davis blue. You'll never use this ink, but I want a pen to match it. And then lo and behold, Aurora came out with a light blue Optima that I'm dying to get. (laughs) And now that you're talking about makers strategies this is where we're starting to see releases seasonal releases of products that are color coordinated so in a family you know you have this is getting onto our review section but you know this is where we have pelican coming out with um annual limited edition inks that match their pens yes or um genius (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly this is like a visual branding thing that like every fashion Dirt line does. And they're like... But not enough pen companies no, no. do it. No, no. But then now you're also getting... I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the internet and the explosion of reviews, but you're getting makers who used to have a range of 12 inks now expanding on every colour in the spectrum. I, and I go back to this a lot. I think about Robert Oster when he first came out. And how he came out with 34 inks was the original Robert Osterline. I had all 34 inks plus the two hidden releases. I think you can still buy a pack of the original 34. No. Well, now you can buy a pack of the 70 or 90 standard range inks, right? I wonder why Pilot does not um, expand on there. The Iro Shizuka, because they have every single colour that you would need in the 24 inks that they have. So when Iro Shizuka first came out, and again... I remember being on the Iroshizuku bandwagon when it first came out. I paid exorbitant amounts of money to be one of the first people to get one of the OG Iroshizuku bottles, which are very different to the ones you get today. They have a much thicker base. Um, but when they first released Iroshizuku, it was a release. The first release was six blues, six different types of blues, right? And everyone looked at it and was like, how many blues do you need, right? And how many any- do you need, Brian? <laughs> 25? 23. Minus the two reds. <laughs> 23. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, so when Iro Shizuku first came out with their whole whole season of blues, they called it, it was released by season, whole season of blues, people just kind of went, how many blues do you really need? And do any of them look like Penman Sapphire? Um, they didn't, <laughs> but it got a lot of traction because people were thinking, Wow, um, there's here is a whole release themed around one particular color, but there are so many different shades, and I can think of so many different pens that I have. Like this is more of a saffron blue, or this is more of a royal blue in the Omas celluloids. One Blanc is doing just that really soon. I That's I exactly know. what I was going to say. And you know what? I'm all in for it. Out of those six colors that they're releasing, I love four of them. Wait, wait, wait. Let me have a look. What what are them? There, there is like a china blue. There's I don't like the one- china. Blanc is is kind of frustrating because their base range of inks is like for for me not very exciting, but a lot of those special editions, um, which are like fifty dollar bottles of twenty yeah, or thirty I more got bottles, some of those they're they're very good. They're, and and the um, illustration on the box is quite yeah, nice too. Yeah, 
So the lim- the they new really blue good. range I want them all. is pretty. Uh, I don't want them all. Is pretty impressive. I out of if you get three, four, then you might as well get the other two. There's six <laughs> of them only. Well, I don't really like the turquoise or the china blue. I like the so the new Mont Blanc blue ink ranges: the ultramarine, the Maya blue, the Egyptian blue, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the china blue, Chinese blue. So the Chinese blue and turquoise are a bit of a miss for me, but the ultramarine. And the lapis lazuli, hello. I thought the China Chinese blue would be in your range. It's a bit grey. No, I don't like the grey blues. She likes the grey blues. I, I like the grey blues. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Diana almost, likes it. It's almost like a celadon coverage yeah. <laughs> across all the spectrum <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. of blues. And, and Chuck's just going pass. No yellows. No yellows. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I would say that I like a strong blue is maybe my second fit. Like. Uh, what do you? Why can't I think of it? Uh, Tsukio is probably my favorite blue a- across the board of everything I have. It is a little bit, a little bit, but I, I like where it. I like where it sits. Um, blue, blue to yellow is the majority of my ink. Makes me wonder when Sailor came up with all of the colors. When did they go bonkers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, no. Correct that. When did they make us bonkers? Well, when did they go bonkers? I think probably the second Four Seasons, Shikiori, the second Four Seasons release where they had the Waga Waga Ugusu. That one. And Urikucha and... Irori and Sakura Mori. Yes. Fuji Musume. The more unusual. The weird ones. Yeah. And the yellow. Kim Mokusei. Mokusei. How many years is that? At least 10? I don't know. No. No, really? So it's five, four. This whole thing is very recent. I feel like. No, I think it's it's, it's less than three years. Do any of you actually consciously match pens with your wardrobe or your accessories? Yes. If you want to, if you've already got a pen in mind that you're going to use for the day, then I would pick the outfit to fit that pen because I will never bring or use a pen throughout the day if it doesn't match my wardrobe. Look, I'll tell you what, if I'm wearing a yellow shirt, I'm not clipping a yellow pen to my, to, I'm not clipping a yellow pen to my collar. It's, it's, it can't be that, that strong. So I, I think there's a minor element there that is, is maybe less in, less involved as your one. This question doesn't relate to me at all. Like, I, really? No, not at, at all. all. Not at nah, all. Never. Never. Because our wardrobe is too varied in its colour, so it just take too much effort. That, I'm with Di on this one, because every single day when I go to work, I already have my pen and my notebook pre-picked out in my bag. But uh, how many pens are you always have inked up in one go? Six. Six. Six pens. It, it helps me to pick between the 25. That that is a day. that is a problem even of your for, own doing. No, even for the twelve that die carries. Every we live day. in prisons don't you of have our own crush. But I don't carry. I, I I have about twelve pens inked at once, but I don't carry them around. The pen that I always carry around tends to be my vanishing point, and that's either Raden and black or the blue decimo. So I don't have a problem with that. Blue decimo. The the sunset blue, the Which the marbled sunset blue. Full size. The full size. Oh, sorry, it's not decimo. It's a vanishing point. Okay. So, so it's, it's not an issue one. for me. No. It's just you, It's just you, Bri. Thank you, Rowena, for this topic. We have next a review, which was recorded by Sharon and Kevin. So we were contacted fairly recently by Lamy Australia, one of their reps. And Lamy Australia 
is one of the distributors for a new Lamy paper product, which has been released in Australia, I think, as a pilot. Um, Sharon, do you want to talk to us a little bit about what this paper product is? So Lamy have... um traditionally always done different types of writing instruments but they've now come out with a new notebook so either a hardcover a softcover or a booklet of their own paper and Kevin Yank and I had the opportunity to trial it out for a couple of weeks and yeah here are our thoughts about it. Hi Sharon. Hi Kevin how are you going? (laughs) (laughs) Very very happy to be back. All right, great to have you back. Um, And we're actually at opposite opposite ends of the world at the moment, aren't we? Yes, I just came down a chairlift from the top of Mount Whistler in in British Columbia, (laughs) Canada. Came down from the the top of the world just to record this with you. Oh, so what are we talking about? We're talking about the new Lamy notebooks, aren't we? Yeah, something new in Lamy land. There's no shortage of that lately. But uh, (laughs) but notebooks are a real brand new thing. They're they're branching out of pens and inks into paper. Mm-hmm. And we've both gotten uh, a free sample, as they say. Yeah, so Lamy Australia has been very generous and has sent us both one of the new Lamy softcover notebooks to try yeah. out. Which color um, did you get? I got this ultramarine blue. Oh, I got the white. I got the plainest one there is. So I'm, oh. I'm a little jealous of you. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about it. But Alami yep. also uh, sent us a Lamy Safari each, which we'll be putting forward as um, a giveaway on the podcast. Yes. I haven't seen mine yet. It's back in Melbourne, but I assume it's the white one to match my white notebook. Did you get the Mine is color? blue to match my blue yeah. notebook. We have uh, we have some talking to do about these notebooks. Um, I, mm-hmm. I've t- taken copious notes in said notebooks, uh, and I Me have some too. thoughts. I have put it through the gauntlet. I have run everything from a 6.0, I think it was a 6.0, or at least a 3-point-something uh, millimeter pen parallel? through it. Parallel through a, it? Yeah, I, I covered yeah. a page with Pilot Parallel. Yep, Pilot Parallel, all the way up to an ultra extra fine to everything in between. So I've taken it for a pretty good spin. For me, the the meat of a notebook is the actual paper quality itself. So I'd like to leave that to last. And I'd like to talk about the, the features and accoutrements first, if you don't mind. Sure. What impressed me about these notebooks is there are very few features you might want in a notebook that are not present in this. Like all of the modern amenities are here with maybe one exception I can think of. But uh, we've got a pen loop made of the same elastic material as the elastic closure, which is like the, uh, the, the thing you'd be uh, familiar with, the Moleskine-style elastic closure. Mm-hmm. There's a back cover pocket, so there's a nice yep. uh, paper or, uh, card cardstock pocket in the back. You've got the perforated sheets at the back, so both the soft cover and the hard cover versions have eight perforated sheets at the back that you can tear out for 16 mm-hmm. pages of shareable goodness. Mm-hmm. I really liked these soft ones that they gave us. I was surprised that uh, the covers are all made of, of paper and cardboard. So mm-hmm. I feel like I could throw this directly into my recycling bin when I'm done with it. So it's a... It's Aren't like you going to keep it? I, I don't keep my notebooks. I scan my notebooks and then I get rid of the clutter. So I I feel good that this is a notebook that I can throw in the trash. But people who like to archive their notebooks may feel like this material is a bit cheap. Like, 
at the very least, I've already got some smudges of ink on my pristine white covered notebook, and that might bother people who are hoping to keep these things long term. But for me, it's a plus. Well, it so makes them kind of eco friendly. So one of the things I actually really like about this notebook is the soft cover doesn't actually feel like your traditional soft cover. So it doesn't actually feel like a moleskine soft cover, which is very, very floppy. This mm. has actually got quite a bit of structure to it. Yeah. On the downside, a, as you mentioned. It, it'll bend if um, you want to bend it. Otherwise, it'll act like a rigid cover most of the time. It's hard to bend, but it's very easy to dent was my main complaint about it. So I've got quite a few dents on mine because it is a cardboard cover as as you've highlighted. However, I do like the structure. I like the rigidity of the cover, even though it is a soft cover. Um, I'm sure it will bug some people, but for me, it it just seems a bit um, more throw resistant, if I can put it that way. Like it will stand up to some dents. The hardcover model, I wonder if it's very different, if it feels more like a keeper notebook, uh, whereas this is the like disposable notebook version. Uh, the ribbons, Perhaps. there's two ribbon bookmarks. Um, there's one that matches the color of the trim of your notebook, so yours mm-hmm. would be the, the blue. blue. Yep. And then uh, there's a neon yellow. Every single model has a neon yellow one, which is a bit weird to me. I imagine that looking yes. bad on some colors. I am not a fan of the neon yellow ribbon. I'm just going to I'm well, going to come right out, out and say eh? it. Um, I don't snip ribbons. I just I don't tear apart notebooks. It's my thing. I keep them as is in its original state. Yeah. So one thing I didn't actually mention earlier because I I just t- totally blanked on me. So the elastic on mine is quite loose. Um, which is fine if you don't use the elastic, which I don't. I don't use elastics on notebooks, but on mine, it's very, very loose. Oh, so yeah. you're saying you don't, you don't close it with the elastic and therefore you use it with the elastic flopping around on the back. I use it with the elastic at the back. So it doesn't bother me too much that the elastic is loose, but it's not a tight elastic like a moleskin. So the moleskin elastics are quite tight and there's, it's a bit more secure, whereas this is very, very soft. And I can only imagine it getting looser as time goes on. The yeah, pen it's... loop seems to be made of a slightly different elastic, but it's oh, also yeah, it's not wider. super, it's wider. super tight. Yeah, it's not also super tight. So my favorite pen loop, yeah, so my favorite pen loop actually comes off one of the Kiki K notebook covers where they've got a very, very secure and very elastic pen loop. And it's, um, I'm just measuring it for against the Lamy one. It actually, it's the same width, but the elastic, it, it's just a bit more elastic than it. Mm. I'm not sure how this pen loop will hold up over time. Um, I just haven't tried it. At the moment, it feels a little bit loose on my yeah. Decimo. So I keep a Decimo with Yeah, me. so I would imagine it is calibrated to fit perfectly the uh, All-Star and the Safari, and anything narrower is probably going to be loose in it. Well, that's really interesting because what if um, – so I one of my favorite Lamy models is the CP1. Yeah, I would not put a narrow. CP1 in this. It would rattle around. <laughs> my Lamy 2000 fits beautifully, though, i got to say. There you go. So then other than that, I happen I – and I don't know which um, version you got, but I got the ruled grid version. Yeah, I think that th- there is only this Lamy grid, ah, as they call there it. There you go. The Lamy you're, grid. you're right. We need to talk about the grid because I think this is going to be a, this is a deal be a breaker break. for some people. Yeah. And it'll be the thing that people refuse to use any other notebook uh, because they want this. Yeah. It, so it really depends if you like a, a grid or not. So this is the grid in the um, Lamy notebook is almost 
a fusion between a lined notebook and a grid notebook. Yeah. So it is a grid. I think it's. I, I measured it's it. Five millimeter. What is I it? I measured is it, it because at first I thought the I thought the major grid lines were one centimeter and the minor ones were five millimeter. And it's, it's four, a trick of the it? eye. They're actually smaller. It's an eight millimeter and four millimeter grid. Yeah. So yeah. So it feels like a four um, four millimeter to me. Yeah. Um, because I normally when I use a five millimeter ruling, I know it. I know yeah. it, and my handwriting doesn't actually work well. It works best on three point seven or four millimeter. Um, okay. is my preference. So it's definitely the four. It's got the four millimeter yes. dotted grid that is fairly subtle. It's like a light gray, uh, small dots, mm -hmm. and then there's yep. every second horizontal grid line is a solid line. Yes. So technically, you could just use this as a lined notebook, and it's got some of those vertical grid lines, um, which, I mean, they're present, but you could probably get away with not paying too much attention to them. Yeah, uh, having having written some longhand on pages on the main lines, I do feel like the, the grid sort of disappears into the background very nicely. Mm. Uh, and when you mm -hmm. do want to do a, a diagram or something like that, having the grid there subtly is really nice to have. But if I were going to do some actual drawing in my notebook a lot of the time, like if I was half sketches, half notes, I think this is a very full-on grid pattern and it would bother a lot of people. I myself, like, I'm a dot grid or blank page with a pencil board behind it sort of person. So to me, this feels like a big commitment <laughs> as, a, as a page pattern. But having used it for actual notes, uh, I, I, I didn't, didn't dislike it. So I love the grid. Yes. Yeah. The grid and the ruling is my favorite part of this notebook. Ah. Um, I find it very difficult to get a four millimeter grid. So you can get 3.7 in a Hobonichi or in a Nanami paper. I forget what they called their version of the Hobonichi grid. You can also get four millimeter in a Stalogy 365. That's about the only other one that you can get a four meter, four millimeter ruling in. I had no Everything, idea it was so rare. and, and It's I, not that common. My fondness for round numbers had me slightly disappointed when it wasn't 10 and 5, but I do have to admit it's very <laughs> nice to write on. It's it's a little more compact, and I feel like I'm making good use of the paper. Yeah, so if I – and I've, I will upload some photos onto our Facebook page so you can see. I've used this both as – just an eight millimeter ruling and so i actually write small enough to fit into a four millimeter grid so mm. i can write on every single line um and it gives me the option of if i'm feeling a little bit more compact i'll you know i'll fit more onto a page i fit um all of the desire to paint by charles Baudelaire onto one page <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's and that's pretty long it took two pages yeah. on every other notebook does um, it bother you that every second line you're writing on is the 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 solid line so when you see the photos on um, Facebook, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me at all because you'll mm. see that you just don't notice it. You don't really notice it at all. Right. Um, so for my writing size, uh, like my scribbly in a meeting block letter note size, it fills the, the major grid very mm -hmm. well. So um, writing on the solid lines only works really well for me. And then when I want to leave a gap between paragraphs or something like that, I have the choice of leaving a, a half grid and then switching to the dots, which would probably bother me or leaving a whole grid. It mm. didn't bother me. I thought it would. Mm. I definitely thought it would bother me, but it doesn't. Um, so 
I'm loving this particular size. I like the option of having the full grid versus the half grid. I like a grid notebook in, to begin with yeah. um, because I don't, I don't do a lot of drawing. Yeah. I'm a terrible artist. I can barely draw a stick figure, but I do draw <laughs> a lot of diagrams. Yeah. So I tend to draw a lot of boxy shapes. So the grid yeah, really me too. helps me in drawing. In drawing and I'm a doodler as well. And I find like uh, a grid can help your doodles as much as it can hinder it. You can, mm. you can use their doodle. You can use the grid to inspire the structure of a doodle. Hey, do something for me. Do you have the notebook with you? Yeah. Can you like flip through it like you would like an animation flip book and keep an eye on the grid? Because something that I noticed is that the grid jumps around a lot from yes. page to page. Yes, it does. And I don't know if that's normal. Uh, um, so in most of the other notebooks that I have, the grid will go to the end of the page. Right. Actually go right to the edge. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to pull up another notebook that I yeah, have. Yeah, so that's a good point, that this grid has yeah. some margins around the edges. It's yes, like it a, does have margins. It's like a, about a, a grid unit and a half on the sides and a, maybe a full, a full two grid uh, margin at the top. But as I said, that varies from page to page. It does. Uh, the grid jumps around. It which does. Every once in a while, when you see some ghosting from one page to the next, you can see the grid on the next page out of alignment. And that bugs me a bit. <laughs> um, it doesn't bug me. Okay. Uh, like I've noticed the grid jumping around, but it didn't move around so much that it really bugged me. It made me so want to go back and check all it. my other dot grid notebooks and see if they do the same thing. If I'm just being, if it's just standing out to me because the grid is more prominent here or if yeah. other printers are, do a better job of aligning their grids mm. from page to page. Yeah. So um, I think we should note that the paper is actually made in Italy. Oh, I so didn't catch it that has. Detail. Uh, yeah, it's made in Italy, not Germany, which is really interesting to me because um, as I wrote in this notebook, I was almost expecting it to feel like the Lamy tester paper. So when you go into oh, a store, yeah, a yeah. store and you find the Lamy tester paper, I really like it because it's very, very smooth. Hmm. It doesn't hold up well over time and it does terribly with hand oils because as soon as you smear any oil on the Lamy tester paper, things just like bleh, everywhere, right? <laughs> I think that's the technical term for it. Yeah. Um, it bleeds all over shop. But yeah. when you first get a brand new stack of that Lamy tester paper and you run any pen across it, oh, that like super smooth sensation, that for it, me is one of like, a re it's a real delight. It and must be the paper equivalent of, uh, you know, in JB Hi-Fi, when you go in and the TVs are all tuned to maximum <laughs> saturation, but it's not a setting you would want to use every day, but it sells the TVs really well. It's got to be the paper equivalent. Yeah. And so that's what I was expecting when yeah. I was writing in this. And it's not, it's not like that at all. I'm surprised that it's not made in Germany as well, just because everything Lamy sells says made in Germany on it. And so, no, this um, one says made in Italy. It was the first thing I noticed, actually, when I got the notebook. Controversial. German well, design made in Italy. Ooh. Wow. Well, they say it's 90 GSM paper. Where do they say that? Um, it's on the website. Oh, okay. The uh, Lamy Shop uh, product page for this. Advertises oh, actually, and it's on, the, it's on the cover as well. Ah, okay. <laughs> I miss that. But yes, it does feel like 90 GSM. Yeah. To me, it behaves, in terms of like ghosting and opacity, it's, a, it's very similar to the thicker Tomoe River for me, the 68 GSM Tomoe River. That, like, I'm a Tomoe River snob. That's what I write in all day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and I'm used to seeing about the same amount of my writing from the next page on it. Really? Um, so, so I, I would contradict that. Okay. Um, my observations on the paper was that in terms of ghosting, it's done remarkably well. Okay. See, I find the 68 Tomoe River is also very opaque. Uh, the thinner stuff is, is very different matter, but the thicker stuff, it must be the coating or something like that. As in, when I look at the reverse sides of all the pages that I've written on, there's only one page where I can see ghosting, and that's where I use the pilot parallel. Every other page has no ghosting whatsoever, so one of my big pros on this paper was that it basically doesn't ghost. So I don't know what I, you're using. <laughs> yeah, this is a KWZ Northern Twilight, dark blue, and it's um, it's. I would describe the writing on the next page as barely legible. Like not the not the next page, but the page on the reverse side of the sheet. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, the writing on the reverse side of the sheet. I I would say I can barely make out what it says uh, under under a bright light. Okay, fair enough. Um, so I don't think uh, I don't think there's much ghosting on this particular paper if you only wrote on one side of each sheet you're right you would not see anything through this mm. Mm, maybe slightly because i was yeah. complaining about the the grid because with, you know, with the that. 68 gsm tomorrow river yeah. i can see on the other side yeah, i can right. absolutely still see i can still see the ghosting on the other I'll side i'll take definitely your word for it because i'm going from memory on that Definitely not as prominent as the 52, but 68, I can still see it. Besides the opacity, though, to me, it's much less smooth than a coated paper like Tomoe mm. River. This doesn't feel coated. It doesn't feel um, engineered for maximum smoothness. It, it feels like yes. they went, let's have a soft texture that's mm -hmm. pleasant to touch, and we'll, we'll go with whatever drag that creates. And to, to me, as a, as a TR snob, this is quite frictiony paper to write on absolutely would you agree with that yeah that that would have been my biggest um not complaint but my biggest observation on mm. this paper and i really like textured paper so i like laid paper i like um i really like midori which midori is notorious for being very very textured i mm. even like the midori cotton stuff which people like die can't stand because it's just got fibers in it i really <laughs> like midori but um when I write with Midori, I feel a text. I feel that it's textured, but not frictiony. Yeah. And I really like the way that you put that. Whereas when I write in this, it does feel like there's friction on the paper, and I probably attribute it to uh, the Italian paper making style rather than the Japanese mm. um, paper makers. For me, when I write in this. Even if I'm using a super smooth nib, so like a DuPont, I normally don't feel a DuPont going over any paper. Yeah. When I write in this notebook with a DuPont, I can feel it. Yeah, I'm the same. I've got like a, an Opus 88 demonstrator with a Yovo nib here, which is like a glassy nib. I, I don't know if every pen of this type feels that way, but just out of the box, I was like, wow, I've got a polished one here. But even, even that one that feels glassy against everything else, um, mm. I can feel the drag on this. Mm. Um, which if someone, if someone felt like, you know, modern nibs are too polished and they wish they could get a purchase <laughs> on, on, on their page, this might be a good thing for them. Um, I was going to say that the places, the, the very few places where I got a little bit of bleed through 
were places where I went over either intentionally or accidentally. I, I wrote over the same place twice with a significant amount of ink. Mm -hmm. uh, wherever I dumped a lot of ink on the page, there was a risk of it going through. And it almost felt like when I first wrote over it and got the paper wet, the paper went, mm -hmm. uh, it sort of opened up its, its uh, grain to take mm. the ink in. And then it was, from that point on, it was uh, susceptible to bleeding through that opened grain. I don't know if I'm, I'm imagining that, but that's how I, I explain the behavior I'm seeing, uh, is that the paper kind of gets fragile when it gets wet. So the way that I, um, and just speculation, just a theory, but I feel like this paper draws ink out of a nib. Like it just pulls it out of even the most gushy of nibs. So... That's the reason why you get some of that friction, some of that textured writing experience. Yeah. But um, like I put one of my absolute gushes. I think I put a pelican on here at one point. Oh, sorry. I put a naginata medium, which is um, which is usually like a very wet pen. And it just literally drew all the ink out. Like it pulled it straight out of the pen. It was really interesting. So you're saying it behaves like a, like almost like a blotting paper. In um. Not really like because I'm not getting paper. that behavior. Just, I've just put like my wettest nib with this wet California teal ink, and I've just put the 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 nib down on the page with a little bit of pressure, and it's not like it's a growing spot of ink. It's not that it's a growing spot. I just think the more you write with it, the more ink it just seems to pull uh, out of the yeah. nib. Um, and I like I use a lot of fine and extra fine nibs, so I actually put the infamous Panida onto this particular paper and by the end of a page of writing not even a full page there was almost no ink left in the actual wow. feed and the nib itself I had to manually force the converter down and that's never happened to me because the Panida isn't a dry pen it's not a wet pen but it's sort of middle of the road um, and I'll share a photo of this as well because it's really interesting you can see how the ink goes from dark to light by the end mm. of the page and i just think it's because the paper is quite absorbent it doesn't feather no it no feathering feather, at all but it just it sucks in yeah the, ink. It, the uh the little uh slip of paper with like the specks that you you take off the book when you open it for the first time um one of the things it says is ink proof paper and i thought i thought that's a funny way of saying it i don't know if that's a standard <laughs> term but i'm not sure i want my paper to be completely ink proof i want my ink to stick to it but uh, but the behavior I've seen mm. doesn't feel to me like ink-proof paper. It feels like paper that slurps up the ink, like you say. Yeah, it's it sort of sucks it up. Which um, twofold? One, it doesn't it doesn't bleed. Two, it doesn't feather. Actually, threefold. And the third, it dries relatively yeah, quickly. I saw that too. And I found that the inks that have special properties behave very differently on this paper than on the stuff I'm used to. So, for example, uh, <laughs> a shimmering ink, like I tried Robert Oster Peppermint Candy, most of my shimmering inks, I'm used to having to be a little gentle with them after I've written them, uh, because once they dry, the sparkles can come out of the writing if you smudge them. But here, the paper holds on to those sparkles. Um, it, it's like locked in there. Sucks it yeah, in. Yeah, it sucks it in. And sh uh, sheening inks as well. There is not a lot of sheening on this paper. And even no. I put some uh, Organic Studios nitrogen down on this, which will sheen on almost anything. And I would describe it as, yeah, moderate sheen. 
like it's certainly the most sheeny thing I can see on this paper, but uh, I only got like a, a small amount of sheen out of it. But the good news is it doesn't smudge. It's the first time I've written on something with nitrogen <laughs> and it hasn't smudged after drying. So the, the paper locks in the ink. Yes and no. So I I wasn't able to get any sheen out of this paper, but then I didn't actually put it through very um, sheen intensive ink. So I didn't put it through nitrogen um, mm. blue. But Diana actually had a scribble on this over the weekend with um, Private Reserve Naples Blue, which did sheen a little mm. bit. And I've just run my finger over that and it's smeared. Oh, okay. Not a lot, but it's it has smeared a little bit. Um, that was the only thing that did sheen on this particular paper, but it's not a sheener. Um, the other observation I have, and it's probably my least favourite part of this paper, is that any inks that go onto this, they lose some of their vibrancy. It's just not as vibrant as it normally You know what? I hadn't, I hadn't seen that, but you're right. When I'm looking at these, they're all kind of muted versions of the colours I'm used to. Yeah, they're still kind of the original colour, but it's any vibrancy that you had in the original colour, it doesn't pop out of mm. the page. You know how when you write on Tomoe mm. River, when you write on Midori, like the colours just pop off yeah. the page. This, the colours don't pop off the page. But then again, it doesn't have the drying time that Tomoe River has. Mm. I've got the world's worst ink, right? And it's called Marazen Athena Lemon. Everyone knows that it's a terrible ink and I will suck it into buying yeah. it. It looks pretty terrible on regular paper. On this paper, it looks like bath. <laughs> like it, Is it darker? Oh. Like, does it does it go towards a grade version of it? Well, it's basically a lemon yellow, which is terrible when you first put it down because it's a little bit dirty mm. yellow. But then when you actually continue using it, um, so when it dries, it lightens as it mm. dries to a legible lemon okay. yellow. But on this paper, it stays at that, ah, at that same right. dirty okay. yellow initial color. So it's probably a bit more brownish yellow rather than greenish yellow. It's not pleasant to mm. look at. So I have a page of that writing, which I can't really look at because it looks quite terrible. Yeah. But everything else, um, it just... it leans a little bit more grey, most of the yeah. inks. So I'm looking at like Mont Blanc Encre du Desert, um, which was the Little Prince ink, and it's like a um, maroonish purple. Mm -hmm. It looks mostly brown, brown yeah. on this. Smoky Quartz looks rather black on it. Moss Green looks like a deeper green than it actually is. Caran Dash Saffron looks like straight up, you know, was it Lucky Orange? <laughs> Mont Blanc, lucky or it looks orange on this. Um, even Sailor Gentle Irori, which is quite a bright red, it looks quite muted on this. And usually these colours tend to pop a little bit more on, um, like not even fully cream paper, but like paper that's not stark mm. white. These colours do usually stand out. So I'm not quite sure what's going on with that, but that's probably my least favourite attribute of right. the paper. So, um... I was going to run through the different varieties and the prices that they sell for here in Australia, because um, to me, that's worth some pondering. Mm. Uh, so they, sure. they, they're available in three formats, the cahier, which is just like a, a stapled set of pages and a, and a cardboard the cover. Booklet. Yeah, the booklet. And those come in three sets of 64 pages. So you still get 192 pages with those. And they're the cheapest options at 19.95 for the A5 and 14.95 for the A6. That's, this is Australian dollars buying from uh, Lamy themselves in Australia. 
the hardcovers, which to me are the handsomest looking, they have this, um, the edges of the paper are colored. So all, all three colors are yeah. a white cover, but then the, the mm-hmm. elastics, the ribbons, and the edges of the paper are the accent color. And it comes in black, mm-hmm. black, purple, and ocean blue, which if you know your Lamis, those are mm-hmm. all-star colors. So it's like the, the slightly more expensive aluminum pen is matched with the hardcover notebook, <laughs> which is yep. surprisingly the same price as the soft cover. So the A5s are thirty nine ninety five mm-hmm. for 192 pages, and the A6s are twenty nine ninety five for 192 pages. And the, the soft cover ones that we have, they come in safari black, blue, green, matte charcoal, pink, and white. So those prices to me, are uh, kind of out there. They're pretty exorbitant. Mm. That is that there. is snooty, not just Tomoe River, but very handsome Tomoe River notebook prices. And to me, what I'm seeing in using this, which in at least the soft cover version feels to me more like a disposable notebook with kind of everyday writing paper that is well-behaved, but kind of budget in terms of performance. To me, like I would want to take $10 off the hard and soft covers and $5 off the cahier sets. And then I would be feeling like those were reasonable prices. As they stand, these feels like, these feel like Lamy fan prices. So basically, they're targeted towards you. <laughs> yeah, they are, and uh, and I'm a fan of of Lamy pens. But I, for me, what they've done here with their notebooks is interesting. They've distinguished themselves from other things in the market, but it's not as premium a writing experience as I'm used to, and therefore I'm I'm probably not I'm not drawn into buying a a steady stream of these. Put it that way. So um, I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I'm I'm actually 100% with you in that I think the price is up there. But that's not unusual for Lamy in Australia, I'll say. Well, for $39.95, I could just tack on an extra 10 bucks and get myself a Lamy Safari, put Mm. it out there. So these prices are very comparable to Moleskine. And it has been many a year since I've bought a Moleskine, maybe about six years, five years, maybe Mm. four years. (laughs) <laughs> since I've last bought a Moleskine, but a Moleskine large, so the large size, which is their equivalent, slightly smaller than A5 version, comes in at, I think it's 35 bucks. Yeah. Aussie. If you get the extra large, it's the same price. Yeah. Um, so the extra large is slightly bigger. Do I think a Moleskine is better made than this notebook? Not necessarily. Um, the paper's definitely mm. worse. But if I'm comparing these two you know they're basically in the same price bracket and i think that's probably where these notebooks have been benchmarked at as a direct comparison to looking Moleskine. at milligram which is an official lamy retailer in australia and so they'll be selling at these prices they sell a moleskine mm-hmm. 400 page notebook for 40 dollars uh, so you get like twice the as extra many large. pages yeah Twice as many pages. But I think that's the extra okay. large, right? But when they say 400, I think it's still 200 pages, just double-sided. Yeah, yeah. And this is 192, which is, which is so, uh, uh, 96 pages double-sided. No, it's not 96, is it? I'm not going to count all the pages, but I, didn't, I thought this was more than 96. Right. I'm just comparing it. That's to the me. other thing that's missing from these notebooks is page numbers. <laughs> I don't use page numbers, so no. it doesn't bother me. But they're basically pricing themselves as a competitor to Moleskine. Right. So if the selling proposition is same price as no Moleskine but better quality paper, uh, I guess I could see that. Mm. But uh, for the 
uh, fountain pen uh, fans who are listening to this, I'd say most of us have long since moved on to something we like better than Moleskine at, at a similar price point. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I haven't used a Moleskine yeah. in years. Um, I've got a stash of them at home somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I used to collect the colors oh. on, um, and the special editions. I got suckered in by that. But all in all, I think there's a lot to recommend about this particular notebook in terms of I really like the design yes. of it. I actually like the classic Moleskine design. I like the features that you outlined previously. Um, actually, the other comparison that we didn't do was how does it compare to a Leuchtturm yep. uh, in terms of pricing? Because I think a Leuchtturm is actually very similar to this. Uh, yeah, ballpark. it's in the same ballpark. I looked that up as well. So a Leuchtturm 250 pages is thirty-seven ninety-five. So same ballpark. Okay, there you go. Um, so I think it's probably more comparable to a mm-hmm. Leuchtturm. I personally am not a big fan of Leuchtturm, so I don't own one. I haven't owned one for quite a few years now, but um, I like many things about this particular notebook. I love the ruling. I'm going to be on a hunt out for some ruling that's like this. But in terms of the actual paper performance, the the one big drawback for me is that vibrancy of the ink. If I can get over that, so if I'm just using black or blue ink, yep. it's fine. Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. And it's really interesting because if you actually put Lamy inks on there, just the regular range of Lamy inks on here, it works really well. <laughs> Imagine that. I know. It's really funny. Like I put Lamy, I think it was the Lamy Pacific uh-huh. Blue yeah. turquoise, whatever you want to call it, on here. Yeah. looks great. Uh, Petrol looks great on here. Their regular Lamy Blue looks great. <laughs> but... Um, I wouldn't think that those inks are particularly over-the-top vibrant. So, uh, yeah, for me, as someone who carries a notebook with them from meeting to meeting every day and then uh, once every three months throws that notebook away, this would be ideal for me if the price were a little lower. Hmm. I don't consider this a premium. It will make your pens and inks pop and show their, their best qualities sort of paper. Uh, this to me is more of a, it's it's a working notebook to me. And for that, mm-hmm. I think it's just a little overpriced. And I hope I hope that's, you know, new product stuff that they'll, that we'll have an adjustment or we can we can pick these up in bulk when they go on sale. <laughs> um, yeah, that's my take on it. I do like the grid if what you're using the notebook for is conducive to a grid. I, and I really love that they, they did some design creativity and said, you know what? Mm. The whole world out there has lines, grids, and dots. What can we bring new to the conversation? And I think it is new, yeah. it's practical, and it's it's nice to write on. Yeah, and I've just had a quick squeeze on the Milligram website as well. Uh, it's really dangerous if I'm on this website. <laughs> so, the again, most notebooks are in this range. The Fabriano, the Fabriano Boutique A5 yeah. notebook, thirty four ninety five. Mm. 160 pages. So, yeah, I, you know what? As much as we may complain about the pricing, uh, in Australia, that's kind of the ballpark of where it's Fair at. enough. Yeah, I mean, I would use this notebook at work. I mean, this would be one that I'd keep at work. But then at the moment, I currently use exercise books. I use the um, booklet yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Once I chuck it in a leather cover and then I toss them out once every six weeks. I think I go through one one of those um, small notebooks once every three weeks. I use the Life Cap Buns. Yeah. Um, at work and yeah I go through one every month month and a half and I just I don't toss them out I leave them in a drawer I just archive them in a drawer I could see myself carrying one of these Lamy notebooks yeah. around because it is it's quite stylish it looks if very what nice. you like is the paper and the grid and you don't need any of the other frills 
Um, the Cayes would be a pretty good like uh, budget option at, at $19.95 for the same number of pages. That's that's half the price of the notebook. I like all the extra fruit. Yeah, yeah. But if you could do without them, you could get <laughs> the like, same like paper the with the same fruit. grid for half the price. Yeah. And it's True. just a great cover. I wouldn't be buying this for the paper, uh, though. I'd be buying it for the ruling, and I'd be buying it for the fact that I think it's a very stylish yeah. notebook, and I carry it around work use it and then again yeah. archive it but it's not one that i'd be at home I, it's not a book that i take to a pen no. meet if no, i can no. put it that way but i'll take it to the next melbourne pen meet to let everyone check it out anyway yeah absolutely <laughs> well thanks for the chat sharon it's amazing how much we Thank can uh, talk about for for uh for an, uh, one I little know. notebook <laughs> awesome thanks so much kevin thank you bye bye Thank you, Lamy Australia, for sending products to review and preview for our listeners. So we will have two Lamy Safaris that uh, Lamy Australia provided us for review. We will be giving them away on our Instagram, so watch out for that. Uh, that takes us to our recommendations section. So uh, if you've listened to the pod before, we have a segment where we recommend things that uh, may or may not be uh, pen and paper related, just things we're enjoying. Now, does anyone have any glaring um, recommendations they want to make uh, right off the top? Truffle Pecorino. It is truffle season at the moment, whether you're in the Southern Hemisphere or the Northern Hemisphere. At, at, time, of at time of recording, which is what, July? In July, truffle season, truffle pecorino. I've never been a fan of hard cheeses. I've never been a fan of hard cheeses until I've had truffle pecorino. And I think my whole world has fallen apart. It's just been upturned. You know, the sky is now like underneath my feet. The world is different now because I've tried truffle pecorino. It's my favorite hard cheese. Uh, mine too now. Hard cheeses, where that's All my in. wreck. That's my wreck for <laughs> the week. And it's really nice with... Um, champagne. Champagne and maybe a little bit of honey. Yes. So we had, um, if you wanted to listen along and consume along with us, we had some Tasmanian honey and we had some truffled pecorino and we had some... Uh, we had, champagne was we um, had mum, GH mum. We had GH Mum La Cremante Blanc de Blanc. So it is a all Chardonnay champagne. I think I prefer the second bottle than this third one. And then second bottle first and then the first bottle and then this. I haven't jumped into this third bottle, but the second bottle was quite nice. The second bottle was was quite fantastic. The second bottle was 2008 Rob. Robert Monqui, Monqui. The second one was a 2008 Robert Monqui Le Châtillon Blanc de Blanc. And the third one, which we will be opening, oh, we, which is already open, is an Aris 2007 Blanc de Blanc. Uh, so who wants to go next for recommendation? Um, I'll go. I have, let, let's go with the serious recommendation to start with. Um, it's a podcast oh, recommendation. Oh, you have a joke recommendation. No, it's not, it's not really a joke, but it's, it's more partial to certain members of the audience. So the first recommendation, it's a podcast that I've been listening to for about a year or so. It's called Strong Songs by Kirk Hamilton. Um, he is, I think, a composer and a, like a lecturer or a music instructor. Each podcast episode, he goes through one particular song. He 
Um, he talks about it in depth from the point of view of a musicologist and a um, like a composer. And he doesn't restrict himself to any particular style of music. So he'll look at jazz, he'll look at pop songs, um, musicals. So there's an episode, I think, on All the Single Ladies, um, Beyonce. There's an episode on Satisfied from Hamilton. There's an episode on Bohemian Rhapsody from Queen. It's really good for people who really love music and want to learn more about music he talks about it in a very educational but fun and interesting way so it's accessible even to people who only have a you know very limited music theory if you enjoy music I I think you'll probably like strong songs and my other um, recommendation the not so serious one the not so serious one this week I was so I am not quite I'm like in the older millennial generational you know um, category, I think so, like mid thirties. As an older millennial, um, I have been trying to understand the younguns and the TikTok. <laughs> I would say you're more senior, mature, not not old. Well, thank you. So, um, caution, senior citizens. <laughs> yeah, because bloody younguns. Oh shush. So I was I was reading um like uh, there's been. A bunch of articles and podcast episodes about explaining what TikTok is to older people. <laughs> so I've been listening to that. And um, this is just the lead in. And this reminded me of a bunch of articles that I read, I think, a couple of years ago. And they were about trying to explain internet meme culture and shitposting culture as a resurgence of Dadaism. Um, so if you know about Dadaism, it's a cultural and artistic movement from around the, the 1910s to the 1930s and 40s or so, World War One, interwar years, um, and the very famous artist who belongs to the Dada movement is uh, Marcel Duchamp mm-hmm. and his urinal and, you know, stuff like that. Um, who, at time of recording, has a show on at the... Uh, oh, really? Yeah, at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So the Dada artists, it's about um, irreverence, it's about anti-establishment, and it's about absurdism. And they specify that what they're doing is not art, even though it gets interpreted as art by the establishment itself, via incorporating it within the establishment. So in the process of being anti-establishment, they actually were subsumed by yep. the establishment, which is very interesting. Anyway, um, there was a... Re- bunch of articles um, a couple of years ago about how shitposting is neo-dartism and it's all related to this idea of people being in a similar state culturally and economically as they were in the 1910s and 1920s. Yeah, no, I've, I've heard a few texts on that recently. Yeah, so, yeah. so if you're like me and um, not quite in with the internet um, generation. <laughs> you need to be explained. <laughs> so uh, I will have like um, a couple of links to some articles. Um, one of them is, I think, a Polygon article from December 2018. Uh, it's titled, Shitposting is an Art, If History is Any Indication, Drawing a Line Between an Internet Pastime and the Dadaist Movement by Sam Gress says. I'm, I'm sorry, if Sam, if I'm... Um, mispronouncing your name. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting look at how to interpret our current very absurdist and very often inscrutable meme culture online if you're someone who's not fully, if you're not participating in that culture. 
Um, my recommendation uh, to to buy Brian a little more time. Um, I have a twofold recommendation. Um, one is there is a big cartel store called Gloomology. Um, that, cool name. Yeah, and uh, they've been the makers of the most recent gift I've received, which is a pin of a bulb of garlic. Uh, I believe they also have a love heart with the words Paul Rudd written in one and a love heart with Keanu Reeves written in another. Um, I believe they're based in the UK. This is an amazing bulb of garlic. Uh, the the interest of the actual really interesting thing about is it, it a soft stem or a hard stem garlic? <laughs> uh, I believe it's a it's a soft stem. Um, but the the really interesting thing about it is that it's a pin that uses more of the actual gold face instead of the enamel face, which uh, a lot of pins use. Uh, and it's a really good use of that. The other recommendation I have is linked. And it is just an across-the-board endorsement of throwing more garlic into your food. Uh, I don't have portion sizes or recommendations for you. I Whatever the recipe says. Um, no, no. No one, should be using, no one should be using three cloves of garlic unless you are cooking for a snack for yourself. <laughs> I totally agree. I usually put at least eight to 16. My brother has kicked me out of my own room <laughs> because... <laughs> We used to stay together. When I'm sick, I have lemon and ginger tea, but I sliver garlic and I put it in there. Um, that re- that results in like heavy reflux burps. Polish I- people have onion and sugar concoction. I don't know if it's a soup or a slurry, but apparently that's what they had when they're sick. I don't. I haven't tried it, but we had Polish interns once. And yeah, I don't. I don't know if the lemon and ginger and garlic is uh, superior to the the age old congee, um, but it's it's good, uh, and I can have more of it throughout the day <laughs> than just bowls of congee. But but sick or not, uh, just an across the board recommendation on garlic. Uh, Easiest and one of my favorite garlic recipes is just to roast a bulb of garlic in yeah. oil. It, yeah. it smells so good and it caramelizes. Yeah, it the, makes everything so much smoother. It's milder. It smells amazing. And you spread it on like anything and you just eat it by itself. Other recipe, um, which I learned from Dick Page's Instagram. Dick Page is a very famous British makeup artist. Um, but his Instagram is mostly food and dogs, which I love. Um, his recipe is to poach garlic, slow poach it in olive oil. Okay. And it's so good. Okay. Like, the oil or the garlic? Both. So you can use the oil afterwards, but then you eat the garlic as well. Kind of an addendum to that recommendation. Um, spring for the nicer garlic with the with the purple tinges, not the like tiny little white um, bulbs that, that don't or have Or organic garlic. Yeah. Yeah. Go, go for those. Which leaves us with Brian. Still on the garlic front. So this, because, do you know what? This is all because of the review that we got, which said, you know, our recommendations about what we're wearing, about what we're using, non-fountain pen related. He didn't mention what we're eating. And so today's episode sponsored by everything that we're eating. Yeah, we're just trying to diversify. True, true story, the garlic recommendation came from um, me talking with someone about Wario Land. Uh, which are a, a set of games that don't exist anymore. But when they introduced Wario as a character, uh, he was powered up by garlic instead of mushrooms. Um, 
which to me is the superior power up. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, yeah. I like Warrior more now. Warrior's yeah, a, a much more relatable character. Uh, Brian, you were saying? Anyway, so that roast pork. If you're doing it in an oven, put at least um, at least five whole bulbs of garlic, split it in half, and then put it upside down so the open side is facing upwards, and put your pork belly on top of it. Pour a bit of um, either chicken stock or whatever stock you want, or just water, and that makes one of the best. If you're making pork, pork belly, go for the stock, spring for it. Like if you're you're already at ninety five percent. If you're go super to, fancy, yeah, yeah. Well, so um, I have recently been fortunate enough to try the pork ribs that Brian has cooked, and so if he gives a cooking recommendation, I'd buy it. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. Anyways, I'm ready for my recommendation. Yeah, I, I could. <laughs> yeah, wasn't well, the garlic cooking be, on pork belly your recommendation? We've, we've been doing multiple right recs. Well, that's, yeah. that's, that's helping Chuck out with the garlic. Okay, like okay. Pushing him that forward. Was an, that was an add-on. No. Um, have I told you about doing a language course? I don't think so, no. Pottery, pottery and uh, rock climbing, yes. Jewelry. Jewelry, maybe, yes. Not language, I don't think. I've done Urushi, I think. But my current focus is trying to learn Japanese before my planned trip next year. So currently I'm doing level two and going to level three at Center for Continuing Education at UCID. I think you mean Sydney. level knee. Knee, going on level no, 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 no. Revuru. knee. Um, but yeah, I would recommend anyone who has some spare time, either on Tuesday evenings, like weekday evenings for two hours, or on Saturday mornings for two hours, to do a language course. If you are interested in it, I think there is no such thing as um, a waste of time if you're learning a new language. Old dog, new tricks. This is, this is, this is a very wholesome recommendation. Okay, uh, well... Thank you, everybody, for your recommendations. Thank you for the spread. What a meal. I normally don't drink along with everybody. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you will notice it uh, with the uh, slurred edges of my, of my sentences. But uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Brian, for joining us after a long hiatus. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for the Arushi chopsticks, which I'll have to talk about at a later date. Yep, just let me know if you want something else added to it. They, they look fantastic. Can always cover it. Uh, thank you, Sharon, for the spread, the, uh, the house and the um, pooch company as well. <laughs> no worries. Uh, thank you, Chuck. Um, thank you, as always, Di. Uh, both for the uh, recording and for your hand in the spread. Thank you so much, Chuck. Uh, as always, my name is Chuck Montano. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Past and future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, or feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Just email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano, Sharon Zah, Diana Dai. Recording and editing was done by Diana Dai. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.